You find that on page 458 of those blue Bibles in front of you. And if you're not really familiar with how Christians do church, which you're in the middle of, oftentimes, and it's been the case historically, that a significant portion of a Christian worship service is given to hearing God's word. So I'm about to talk about God's word for about 40 minutes. Trusting that God's word speaks to us. His voice is active as his word is open and explained and thought about. Hopefully, the potential to hear God's voice this morning for you is something you look forward to. And if not yet, maybe God might have it that you're here. That he would work in your heart and mind that by the time we leave... We are eagerly wanting to listen for his voice. Psalm 23, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We began a seven-week series last week through this psalm, going very slowly through it to see our shepherds care for us as his people. In verse 2, we're still very much focused, as we will continue to be throughout every verse, on the shepherd's activity, the Lord, who is the shepherd. So this verse, in verse 2, that we're going to look at this, this morning, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is still very much connected to the opening statement I shall lack nothing. I shall not want. Among the things that the shepherd provides for us, the first that he mentions is here in verse 2. For a sheep, there is food and drink provided and promised. But this image is a metaphor for us. The images of lush pasture and babbling brooks conjure up thoughts of rest. David is testifying to what the shepherd does. And in this verse 2, we have this main idea. The shepherd plans and provides for your rest. The shepherd plans and provides for your rest. I'm going to take that apart in two statements. And I aim, my aim with God's help is to encourage you with this sermon With these two main thoughts. First, the shepherd plans for your rest. And the second, the shepherd gives you rest. So if that's where this passage is taking us, it seems like a good time to ask, are you rested? You might say, yeah, got a good night's sleep last night, feeling good. You might chuckle and say, I can't remember the last time I felt rested. There is a deep rest, deeper than physical rest offered in Psalm 23. 
And it is offered to us even in our weariness. Whether we are feeling fresh or worn out this morning, God invites us to enjoy the rest he gives in Jesus. So that's where we're going. As we begin the first point, the shepherd plans rest for you. The shepherd plans rest for you. Remember the main subjects of this psalm. The Lord, God who made us, is the shepherd. And the one writing this psalm, David, compares himself and us to sheep. So in verse 2, it is the Lord doing the action of making the sheep to lie down and leading the sheep within reach of water at all times. In our second point, we're going to think more on the rest that the shepherd gives. But in this portion, let's first see that the shepherd is the one planning for the sheep's rest. He scopes out where the good grass can be found. He makes sure to keep the trail close to water so that the thirsty sheep can drink. There's intentionality here. The eventual place where the sheep stop is due to the shepherd's action. The place where the sheep arrive is the pasture the shepherd chooses. The water they drink is along the shepherd's chosen route. And so if this is meant to be a picture of our life with God, the psalm is painting this picture where the Lord is our shepherd looking for and leading us, his people, to our rest. The Lord does not drive cattle. He is in front, leading sheep by example with gentleness and tenderness. He is not hurried. He does not rush on with whip or prod, racing across arid wilderness. But he goes at a slow, ambling way. Sympathetic to our slowness through a verdant valley. When the text says, he makes me lie down, this is not coercion. This is David reflecting on the result of the Lord's good leading. He makes it so that the place I finally get to lie down in is like a green pasture. He is not a shepherd content with giving sheep only enough to survive. His provision is abundant and enjoyable. What we need The providence of this shepherd supplies. Keep in mind, all the while, this shepherd does not need the things he's leading us his sheep to. He neither slumbers nor sleeps, Psalm 121. He doesn't grow hungry. He has no experience of thirst. Yet the shepherd is also the one who created us to no need. And to find life through the avenue of dependence and dependence on him to get what only can come from him. He's made it that way. He's made us that way. He made us to find enjoyment and satisfaction in rest, in hunger filled, in thirst quenched. So no, he doesn't need, but yes, he knows our need. Psalm 103, 14. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. To provide for us, God both makes the place that he's taking us and feeds us when we arrive at it. 
And in God's search for our rest, the psalmist is reminding us that he picks the best spots. This rest is chosen on what the Lord knows is needed, not on the basis of what is deserved. Christian, witness the heart of the shepherd for you. What must be his love for you if rest is what he chooses for you? In your weariness, you are seen by this shepherd. And God has taken the responsibility of shepherding you, which means he plans for when and where you rest. And those plans he's made for you are already in the works. From his vantage point as sovereign over all, he has already mapped out where all your provision will come from. If God plans for your rest, then you don't have to think about whether you'll have the rest you need. Those are plans you don't have to make. You don't have to worry about how much that kind of rest would cost you. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Church, God gives pleasant presents. Good gifts. Picture yourself in the middle of this meadow or trailing this trustworthy shepherd to the next mountain spring. This is a pleasant and serene picture that God paints to tell you what following him can be like. Whatever it means to be rested in the depth of your being. God is invested and interested in providing that to you. So as we see what God plans for us in this rest, we learn a few things. We learn what God wants for us. God intends for us to get rest. And to experience his care in a way that leads to our refreshment. He doesn't want us in a scanty existence or a life in which we feed strictly on a utilitarian diet of gruel and rationed water. We learn about his character here. We learn about what he's doing. He's actively leading his people to a special place of rest. And as we go from this place to that place, he promises temporary rest along the way in and through his created order even. As a shepherd, the Lord is taking on a service-oriented role with us. This is our guiding framework then. If you occupy a position of leadership, whether at home or in the church or in the world, Jesus, the Lord, your shepherd, takes on a service-oriented role to you, his sheep. This is your framework. For how to go about leading others. 
This is how you go about your work and witness in your office this week. As you take care of others. As you look to what they need. As you seek to do them good. Elders in this church. Husbands at home. Bosses in the workplace. Seek that your quality of leadership mimics closely the quality of the shepherd's care. Parents. Are we leading our children to these kinds of restful experiences in the way we parent them? Is, are our homes places where our kids not only enjoy rest, but want to be with us who are seeking to shepherd them? Perhaps the idyllic pastoral scenes in Psalm 23 verse 2 don't ring that true for you. Perhaps this image does not conjure up anything remotely familiar in your life. Perhaps the last thing you describe life as right now is restful. Maybe you feel exhausted. Well, I'd encourage us this week to explore the causes of restlessness in our lives. Talk to somebody else about it if you're not sure where to start. If God is offering rest to us in Psalm 23 too, why are we not feeling like we're able to receive it in our constant exhaustion? Maybe it's a sense of, sense of fatigue that's driving your restlessness. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's because you're over-prioritizing work. Maybe it's worry. Maybe... We're contributing to ongoing tumult in situations that the Lord is actually saying to us, be still in that and know that I am God. I don't think God ever offers us things that are impossible for us to have. Certainly not when it is his hand that is holding them out. So even in worry and fatigue... There is still a rest we can know behind the leadership of the Lord. The shepherd has plans for our rest. But we have to follow his lead to find the rest he plans. We'll never find that on our own. And so in our exhaustion we pray, Lord, though I am weary, keep leading. And please be patient with me. When I wander and we ask as a church, Lord, help us to entrust all our lives to your careful and capable leadership. Maybe we're not resting in the Lord because we have a different version of rest than the one he provides. So we look more closely at the rest the shepherd does give. The shepherd gives rest to you. That is our second point. The shepherd gives rest to you. The Lord not only plans our rest, but the rest we receive comes as a gift from him. So in Psalm 23 too, the the green pastures, the green grass and the water, those are analogies and descriptions by a poet of godly and good things God gives through his leadership in our lives. This pasture scene is not simply a metaphor then meant to give us serene feelings or a sense of calm that has no basis. This is a promise 
that when we are weary or hungry or thirsty, it is the Lord who will give what satisfies us. If you follow military history, you will know that wars are harrowing experiences for those who fight in them. Soldiers often pay the brunt of the cost of warfare. Napoleon's infantry went from 422,000 down to 10,000 during the march to Moscow and the retreat home through the brutal Russian winter. At Valley Forge, George Washington's men shivered and starved through the cold. These images are not unfamiliar as we read the New Testament. Paul will portray the Christian life as a battle where armor is needed as we combat the world, the flesh, and the devil. But there are more than these militaristic wartime images in Scripture to fill out our understanding of what life with the Lord is like. We are not on a perpetual march from battle to battle. (laughs) Nor are we meant, meant to picture ourselves as the kind of heroes who can fight without fainting. And neither were we made by our creator to work without resting. This is, I think, one of the great lies of Satan smuggled in with the Western cultural priorities of production, efficiency, and advancement. In an era that that prizes successes, achievements, and increasing the bottom line, the importance of rest diminishes and disappears. We push and we push and we push in our efforts until we're exhausted and unraveled. This overemphasis on productive work misses the counteracting relevance of rest in God's good design. See, when God made us, he didn't make us as industrial machines. He made us as human beings. He made people who he placed in a world not to suck the life out of, but to participate with in order for us to enjoy it. A place that corresponds to us in such a way that to walk through shady woods and to sit down at a delicious meal is refreshing to us at a very deep level. That's what God made with intentional design. And when he makes the rhythms of the world, he programmed in a seven-day cycle of rewarding work for six and rejuvenating rest for one. When we first learn about rest, it is actually in watching God cease from his creative work. Not out of fatigue, not out of burnout, but because God views rest as a good activity in its own right. But when sin, shortly after creation, when sin enters the world, the frustration of a broken world meant that work would get harder. Listen to the curse sin brought in Genesis 3.17. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for your dust. And to dust you shall return. 
if work got harder after Eden, how much more will we feel our need for rest under these conditions? And yet still people strive restlessly on. At Babel, the nations tried to work up to be gods when God had already promised he would send a savior down to them. At Mount Sinai, God starts over, sets up a new nation, Israel. He gives them ten commandments that are to be the core of their new society. And of those ten laws, God made sure to reserve one of the ten, a significant portion in his moral code, to protect a Sabbath rest. A pattern of ceasing from work and seeking rest in God. It's an interesting commentary on human history that God is regularly telling people to not work all the time. God knows that one of the ways we most reflect him is in our ability to create. Never quite like him. Because as you know, we can never create things out of nothing like he can. But our skill at designing or crafting or arranging or creatively producing, these all tap into something very divine stamped on us. These are powerful attributes that no other creature God made possesses. They reflect God. But they do not make us God. We are still exhaustible. God is inexhaustible. We still fade. God is eternal. We break down if we push too hard. God has no limits. No matter how independently wealthy we might be by virtue of our work, we are always dependent on the Lord for life. By setting up a world where rest is prioritized and celebrated, God wants us at one and the same time to both fully appreciate the work he gives us to do that glorifies him and the rest we enjoy because all things come from him. Even though we make idols of our work, I don't think anyone in this room is going to argue with me when I say we need rest. We live in a frenetic world. Where when asked how your week was, you will usually only be able to muster up the one word answer, busy. The days don't have enough hours in them. Planned vacations get canceled or aren't ever long enough. There's always more to be done. Even when we get a day off, we can't get our mind to stop. And we spend our rest time restlessly thinking about what needs to happen next. We are restless people. And the reason is not simply because we don't take enough naps or all our vacation days. It is not primarily even because we don't take one in seven days off from work, though that doesn't help. The main reason we're so restless and anxious is because we don't receive the gift of rest that comes in and through Jesus Christ. We are restless people. Until we find our rest in the Lord. We don't rest because we don't depend on Jesus. And we don't depend on Jesus because we don't trust Jesus.
Psalm 127, 1 and 2 says this, unless the Lord, there it is, looking to him, depending on him, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord works, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that we rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. When Jesus looks at the world and our lives, he sees much of the world working in vain. He sees us trying at everything we can do to protect ourselves or the ones we love by our activity and our work and our toil and our anxiety. He sees our hearts turning incessantly with worry. He sees our 3 a.m. wakefulness. He witnesses our slavery to our cultural rituals of worshiping at the shrine of the false idol called productivity. We're seeking our worth and identity and what we make with our hands. And Jesus enters that world full of vain building, vain vain watching, vain working, anxious toiling. And he says, you don't have to live like this. To a weary and worn out world, Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And I, I will give you rest. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We sit at the well of the world like the Samaritan woman in John 4, hoping that the next cup we draw will finally satisfy us. So we go from one relationship after the other like her, or we go from one thrill to the next, or one binged meal, or one TV binging evening to the next, or one career to the next, or one weekend to the next. And Jesus says, everyone, everyone who drinks of this water, you will be thirsty again. I promise you. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When I read Psalm 23 too, my mind goes to a cabin in the woods in late spring and I want to be there. It goes to unhurried meals. And unplanned naps. That's okay. But there's a greater and more permanent rest God gives. When we read Psalm 23 too, The most fulfilling rest you can imagine. That best captures this scene. Is the rest you find in knowing Jesus. Jesus is able to offer rest to you. Because Jesus is. Rest for you. See, Adam and Eve were barred from the green pastures of Eden and the quiet waters of that garden. They were banished from enjoyment of life walking alongside the Lord, their shepherd. Angels were positioned with swords at the entrance. 
Same story repeats with Israel. Israel wanders in the wilderness for their disobedience. Moses, the leader, doesn't get to enter the promised land because he didn't depend on the Lord. Israel goes into exile twice, loses their peace due to their waywardness. So many times the story has been that we can't work enough to get back to life with God and we can't find the rest that satisfies on our own. We couldn't until... Jesus came to be our rest. Jesus came and worked for the glory of his father. He labored and he rested in humble reliance on his father in all things. He came behind John the Baptist, the voice in the wilderness crying that the path to the Lord was now being opened. And he came as that pathway. He came, as Kat read earlier, he came to a hungry people on a hillside and he saw that they needed more than a miraculous meal, though he gave them that. They needed a shepherd. To lead them to their God. And so he gave. Until the last breath was given on the cross. He led. Until he bled. He suffered. Until he saved us. He died once. He rose once. And in his resurrection life. We have entry into eternal rest. The way into rest. The way into peace. Is Jesus. He can provide us with rest because he is our rest. Rest in Jesus is a unique experience. By which I mean, you will not experience this rest any other place. And all other forms of good rest, whether it's sleep, a day off every week, a hike in the woods... Even for some strange people among among us, a good strenuous session at the gym. These are all shadows of the truest rest we have in Christ. So rest, if we want to start filling out, what is this rest that Jesus provides? Let me give you some images. Maybe you could keep coming up with some more that compares a little bit, like a shadow. Like the psalmist is doing for us, giving us pictures to describe What it is to live in the rest of Jesus Christ. Rest in Christ is like a wonderful night's sleep. But it's better than that. It's like being awake. But all the time you're awake, fully trusting God is the one working like you do when you sleep. Rest in Christ is like a delicious meal that someone else prepared and served and cleaned up the dishes. And you just sat there and enjoyed Resting in Jesus is like day 10 of a two-week vacation when you finally turned off your mind from the past and the future and you're fully engaged in loving the people around you. Rest in Jesus is like the satisfaction of a glass of ice cold water and air conditioning after being outside on a hot day. Rest in Jesus is an awareness that whether you eat or drink or work or sleep, Jesus in every moment is living inside you to give you eternal rest. So if you have had enough of restless living. Then you are ready for Jesus's rest. A kind of rest where satisfaction is a real thing. Matthew 5, 6 from Jesus' mouth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. In other words, our appetites won't go away. But when they find the right source, they will finally be satisfied. And that source is Jesus. Jesus, from a measureless storehouse of grace, gives to us. He makes a promise to all people everywhere, including here this morning, to come to him and find satisfying rest. And for everyone who is coming, has come, and will come, Jesus is able to fill and keep filling. The promise for every weary sheep that follows this shepherd is that they have the rest that they seek. Jesus is our rest. So how do we go about enjoying this rest he provides? Well, rest must begin where all life begins with Jesus at the cross. There and only there. Can we unburden ourselves of our heavy load of sin and failure to obey God over the false gods we've chosen to worship instead? At the cross where Jesus gave his life for ours, we there can trade the crushing burden of our sin for the light yoke, the light pack we heard about from Matthew 11 behind the shepherd who takes care of all we need. We can travel light because the burden of our lives rests on him. In repentance, we acknowledge that no work we can do is going to get us the rest we need. And so we look to the one who saves us from our toil and striving. And we humbly receive his death for us so that we can hopefully rest in his life with us. Friend, if you're not following Christ, your shepherd, the Bible says you're lost. And to be without this shepherd is to have a life where you only know wilderness and trouble and death at the end. But there is a haven of rest available to you. Even in the midst of what seems to be a desert world of unsatisfied longings. And that haven is Christ. Turn from your sin. Trust in his death for you. And walk with him as he walks out of the grave out of your death and into life in him. We find the beginning of our rest in the gospel, the good news that Jesus is crucified and risen for us. And as we begin to walk this life behind him, behind him who died for us and rose for us, we can then know and see the familiar marks on the hands and the feet with the nail holes that held him for our sake. And we can know that he will always be the surest guide and the safest rest. That side with the spear scars is forever going to be our eternal refuge. And Psalm 23 two highlights two places where we can especially enjoy rest with Jesus. At times, he will give us rest stops like those green pastures. And at other times, he will give us rest as we go, as we travel alongside those quiet waters. At times, Jesus has us stop and rest. The sheep are made to lie down and graze in green pastures. This is a rest stop to be fed, to be re-energized, to be nourished. And those pastures for you are in God's word. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed in your weariness or your worry 
Have you ever noticed how the promises of God can alleviate your worry and fears unlike anything else? You ever notice that? Or how scripture-based prayer with a struggling friend can help them far more than practical advice you might have given them? Jesus, son of God, and yet a man recognized how essential the word was to satisfying even his own physical needs and giving him rest. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me. The green grass pasture is wide open to you in the Bible. It's there. Stop and eat there. Take in the truth from God until your soul is satisfied with the richness of his food. Drink from the well of Christ buried in these pages until you come out as yourself a fountain of joy-filled living. But we say, Philip, there's way too much to do. Life is too full. You don't understand how full my life is right now. Surely there are better ways to invest my time in my limited span of time that I have than in reading an old book that I can hardly understand sometimes. What's the alternative? Instead of resting there, don't we restlessly search for cheap substitutes that don't fill, let alone even begin to feed our hearts? How often have I filled my mouth with dust while dust collects on the words that can satisfy my soul? Are we too busy with anxious toil that we are unwilling to stop and eat the meal Jesus provides? Perhaps we're too self-dependent to believe that God's word holds our eternity far more than our feeble works. If we want rest, and we do, let's be humble enough to be less busy and in God's word more. Next week, we're going to come to the Lord's table, which is another rest stop that Jesus provides. The table is prepared for us. We get to sit and enjoy Christ our rest. His bread is a reminder of his body broken for us. So let's be getting ready to participate in that rest together next week. Another rest stop is this day, the Lord's day. The new covenant provision fulfilled in Christ and a continuing practice of God's people in keeping with God's created one day of rest out of seven. We reserve this day, a day of restful worship on the day Christ rose from the dead. We rest knowing that we have hope of eternal life with Christ because he has won the victory over our death and he did it on that day. This is a pattern of ceasing from work and resting in the finished work of Christ. Make sure one of seven of your days is at least the norm for your rest. And as a Christian, that rest includes our worship together. We have been seeking and finding the rest Christ provides even this morning. In prioritizing this, we help ourselves and we help each other move from Sunday, move our Sundays out of a kind of passive spiritual ritual and into an act of restful worship together. That's what we're doing here. 
Have you ever noticed how if you miss gathering with God's people for a couple Sundays, you feel worse? It's like you've been living with all the lights on around the clock, even when you're trying to sleep. That's, that's how I feel when I'm away from God's people. In the absence of the rest we enjoy with God's people, we start to realize, and I guess this is a, a good part of it, how much this rhythm of gathering feeds and fills our souls. That was God's intention. Parents with young kids, I know what you're doing in these moments, even right now as I'm talking, might not feel restful. It won't always feel the way it is now. But keep in mind that even while you're pouring yourself out and caretaking those little ones in the pew, and at many times you feel distracted from participating in worship, you are still here depending on and seeking the rest that Christ provides through his word, his people, and himself. And you are appointing your little ones and you are pointing to all the other ones to the hope and the belief and the trust that you hold that Christ is where you can have your rest. As we come back to our members meeting tonight and you hear about children's ministry that will begin, let me encourage you, if you don't have young children, to consider serving in children's ministry soon so that those who are in this short season particularly having a hard time participating in worship, might be helped in that way by your service. One last rest stop is the rest we give each other in hospitality. Opening our homes is a way we give our brothers and sisters a rest. In our conversation around a meal that we provide, we can often find that others are encouraged in their heart, both by our hosting and we find as those hosting, we're encouraged by those we're hosting. Sure, the extra work might tire our bodies, but at the same time, it's going to bring help to our souls. Think about giving that kind of hospitable rest out as a regular part of your weekly schedule. Christ, his word, his supper, his Sabbath, his fellowship. These are all the rest stops that the shepherd makes us to lie down in. Psalm 23, 2 says there's also a rest we can know as we go along. And this is where we'll finish. The rest we enjoy is not always a ceasing from activity or labor. The sheep must be led from one pasture to the next. And the shepherd makes sure that they have calm water to drink from along the way. Now notice these are not rushing rapids that timid and fearful sheep would fear they drown in. These are quiet brooks. These are cool and clear. And they are simply beckoning the thirsty to come and drink until they're thirsty no more. The path behind our shepherd, I recognize, might at times not feel like that. It might sometimes feel like a flood. But Jesus will not let you drown. The one who leads you to still waters is the one who stills the stormy ways with his voice. We might feel at other times that the way is barren and dry and your last memory of the satisfying water of life with Jesus seems all too distant. Christian, wherever you go, in plenty or in want, you are currently full of the Spirit of God, a well that never runs dry. You will not run out of what you need because 
The spirit of God will never run out from inside you. When it is hard to stop and rest, then rest in Jesus as you go. As you go about your life full of good responsibilities that you're about and the good work that he's given you to do, sometimes which fills our schedules and makes us busy. As you go about that, take up a conversation with the Holy Spirit when you're exhausted and there is still more to do. Ask the Spirit to come and give you peace in trouble, joy in trial, strength in weariness, hope in grief. The help that the Holy Spirit gives in these times is your water for the journey. And the faith he supplies will enable you to look up and look ahead to the rest that is coming. If the bread of the Lord's Supper invites us to stop and feed on Christ, it is the cup that encourages us to go as we drink of Christ. As we taste from the cup that Jesus pours out for us, we remember that as he poured it out, he said he was looking forward to drinking it with us in heaven, the place of our eternal rest with him. Stop and rest in Jesus. Then go as you rest in his spirit. Are you weary this morning? Jesus plans for our rest. And provides us with rest. What a comforting word. For weary people. Let's pray. Father, through the working of your word and your spirit, the work which Jesus began and continues, pray that you would teach us what you mean when you say, come and you will give us rest. Lord, continue for those who are satisfied with the goodness that you give and are joyful in you. Lord, continue and sustain their their joy. For those who are weary and heavy laden and having a hard time to even hear Jesus, let alone know what the invitation means, Lord, lead them to Jesus. For those who lack a shepherd and who are lost, oh Lord, we pray that you would invite them into your eternal rest. Still our hearts, Father. Still them, make them still. Keep us at peace as we engage and enjoy the rest that you provide in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.